Hello, community group leaders. This is Thomas, and my goal this week, as it is each week in this Leaders Update podcast, is to inform, guide, and train you leaders to make disciples of Christ through community groups. This week, we are learning from Acts 13, and I'm excited to share some sort training and practical tip to help you as we develop relational safety in our groups. First, a couple of informational items. Um, Pastor Mark uh, directed me to, and I think he'll be sharing soon with with the broader church, but I'm letting you know first, uh, about a new tool, a resource that would be helpful for you in encouraging your group members to be uh, to live on mission in evangelism, and that is something called Bless Every Home. This is a website and an app. I've, I've been using both, and they're, they're super helpful. You can find it at blesseveryhome.com slash parkviewchurch. The link is in the episode notes below. But what you do with this is you put in your name at this website, put in your name, put in your street address, and it will give you, it has access to database from marketing firms, and I don't, I don't know how they get it all, but it'll give you the names of your neighbors around you, and um, and then it'll actually give you little prompts to pray for, you know, two of your neighbors a day or two of them once a week. You can set up the notifications as often as you want them to come. Um, and so it'll prompt you, pray for this person, and then take a step to care for them. Take a step. For, and so it's it's a really great tool. I just started using it this week. It's been a huge help. I've been way more consistent in praying for my neighbors around me and even just learning their names. It's been a huge help. Um, so blesseveryhome.com slash parkviewchurch. As we continue to discuss evangelism and acts and encourage group members to take steps of growth uh, in mission, I think this could be a really helpful, simple way to, to keep that topic on people's minds in a helpful, bite-sized way. And and I think also so that I, as a group leader, don't constantly feel like I'm the one reminding, I'm the one sort of nudging them toward that. Um, it's a website, it's an app, and it'll, it'll remind you as often as you ask it to. Um, so you can check out the link for that in the leader's notes, blesseveryhome.com. Secondly, uh, I wanted to make a note about coaching and the growth grid. Most of you have connected with your group coach. If you haven't done so yet, uh, now is the time. The goal is to meet once a month for encouragement, to pray with you, pray for you, uh, to hear how your group is doing. Our key tool in uh, kind of measuring how we're doing as a group is that growth grid. And so the goal is to sort of update that, not to start from scratch, but to just kind of keep that updated uh, maybe once a month, check in. How are my group members doing? How can we care, help them grow? How can I intervene and help as a leader, encourage them, and so forth? Um, if none of this sounds familiar, if this is totally new to you, uh, reach out to me. I'd love to explain what I'm talking about there, but um, keep on working toward that. All right, so having informed you, now let's move on to guide. Uh, we're working through Acts 13. 1 through 12. I want to give you sort of the big picture of the passage and navigate uh, maybe, I think, one maybe speed bump that could disrupt discussion, give a couple places to kind of land the plane in application. So this is Acts 13. This time when I go through this, I know previously I was uh, just kind of reading the passage for you out loud and then trying to comment on it retrospectively. This time I'm going to try to, to pause, explain some things, and keep moving, kind of guide guide my way through the passage rather than all at the end. So here we go, Acts 13, 1 through 12. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. 
Uh, this is a let me pause there. This is a passage that's sort of rich with things the Holy Spirit is doing. Uh, many people have said that the the book call that we call the Act, Acts or it's often the longer title is the Acts of the Apostles is really misnamed. That it's it's truly the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The Acts of the Risen Lord Jesus is one book that I have been referring to often calls it that Acts of the Spirit. Um, and this passage is really a, a huge illustration of that. And the initial thing we see is the Holy Spirit saying, wow, the Holy Spirit is a person, obviously. The Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Now, Acts 13 really represents a huge transition in the book of Acts. Um, we know in Acts 1, it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is to the disciples as they're waiting for the days of Pentecost. It says, you will receive that power, and then you will be my witnesses to in Jerusalem, in Judea, in um, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And in Acts 13, the focus really shifts from Jerusalem and the events around there to Antioch and then uh, to all of the sort of broader Gentile world as uh, or what you might call the ends of the earth in that day and age. We know Barnabas and Saul have returned from their trip, taking the generous gift of the Antioch church to Jerusalem to care for those ailing saints who are suffering from the uh, the famine that was predicted in Acts 11. They have now returned to Antioch. They're worshiping. They're leading the church. And what certainly, we know Barnabas was sort of their first leader and Saul was their first big teacher. Uh, they're going to be sent out. That had to be hard. <laughs> that had to be hard for them. It makes me think as a community group leader, uh, who's going to lead my group next? If if the Lord himself said, set apart for me, Thomas, or whatever it would be, if it were you, set apart for me, Mike, set apart for me, so-and-so, um, what would that look like? I'm sure it was hard for them to think, how could we move on? But they, they fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Um, and the Spirit did this. Now, verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. I'll pause there. Uh, we know this was sort of Paul's uh, method of church uh, of evangelization, was going to the synagogues of the Jews first and evangelizing the, the uh, Gentiles and the God-fearers who were available and interested. Um, it's interesting to see that this magician they come upon, he's going to, it turns out he has two names. We'll find out in a second, but the first one that it gives is bar Jesus, which means son of Jesus. Bar is the Aramaic and Hebrew word for son. His name is son of Jesus. Um, his other name is Elimas, uh, which means wise one. And, uh, that word magician that's used there, um, Daryl Bach says that's, uh, a role that involved healing and looking for signs using formulas, incantations, amulets, and other forms of inducing discernment. In the NIV or CSB, if your group members use that, it's the word sorcerer used in both places. Uh, more on that in a second. Uh, it says this man, this magician, he was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas the magician for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? 
And now, behold, the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Again, the, the parallel between Paul slash Saul and Elymas the magician is really clear here. Um, oh, I didn't mention that before, actually. Uh, that in verses 1 through 3, we have this sort of commissioning scene for Saul and Barnabas, and it really rings of a, this comparison between that and Saul's first journey, so-called missionary journey in Acts 9, when Saul, who's full of anger and rage, he's just seen uh, Stephen be stoned to death, um, he goes to the council and he, he seeks letters so that he can go to Damascus and persecute and kill P Christians there. Um, and there's that first, those first two verses in, in Acts 9 really contrast with these two. In the discussion questions, I'm going to invite you with your group members to kind of compare that and see, I really want to draw out sort of the significance of the Holy Spirit's intervention and in the community's kind of reception of that and commissioning um, and how much, how different, different that is. But we also see that in the comparison between Elymas or Bar-Jesus and Saul here. We know then Saul went on his way to Damascus. He was knocked off of his horse. He was, he was confronted by Jesus, and he was blinded, and he had to have seek people lead him by the hand, Ananias in that case. Um, and so there's just this dramatic encounter between God and clearly God's prophet, God's prophet Paul, in this case, filled by the Holy Spirit, um, and this bar Jesus who is intent upon keeping the proconsul um, Sergius from believing. Um, and this sort of power encounter ensues where Paul, who's, it says, filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the third thing that this passage says about the Holy Spirit. More on that in a second. But the proconsul, we learn here, I'll finish the passage here. Verse 12, then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred. Meaning, when he saw what happened to Bar-Jesus, to Elimus the magician. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And so it wasn't, it wasn't this mysterious sign, this act of judgment that happened that was primarily sort of what he believed, but he believed the teaching of the Lord. And this sign uh, somehow confirmed and showed that the power of the Lord was with Paul. So the big idea, the big mega theme of this passage, the thing we always want the heart of the passage to be the heart of our discussion, would be that God's Spirit calls, sends, and fills us for God's mission. Um, God's Spirit calls, sends, and fills us for God's mission. There's important implications for our mission today. Uh, like I said, we sort of see this initial first, first few verses as sort of this call and commission of Saul and Barnabas. Verse 4, then it says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And then we have verse 9, Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit really outlines these sort of three core things that the Spirit is doing to help God's messengers make disciples, um, especially with people who don't know Christ in places where Christ is not known. It's God's Spirit who calls us to that, who sends us toward it, and then who fills us with the abilities, with the power that we will need to actually accomplish it. Now, I... Like I said, we're sort of we're in the midst of an evangelism-heavy set of passages where God's mission is sort of the highlight. And with our people, I've I've told you the last couple episodes. Let's lead our people gently and tenderly uh, to to consider deeply what it would look like to take next steps in this area. 
My sense is that most of our people probably don't doubt that God has called them to share Christ with others, has sent them to share Christ with others, meaning in a specific place, in a specific area, God is giving them, calling them to share. But number three, that God would fill them. Uh, as, as God filled Paul in that moment uh, with the ability to confront um, this this false prophet uh, so that the proconsul could come to believe. Do we really, at the deepest level, believe that God himself will fill us with what we need in that moment? Often, that's, that's I think, for many of our people, that's, a, that's an area of concern. It's an area of doubt. We think that we, if we go into that situation, we make those friendships, if we cross the street, if we cross the tracks, if we cross the room, and, and to open our mouths to speak about Christ, do we really believe that God will fill us with what we need so that verse 12 can happen, so that our friends and neighbors can believe? Uh, I think that's worth sort of considering, and our, our discussion questions this week are meant to kind of lead in that direction. Um, we know that God's Spirit can and does fill us with power, with wisdom. He gives us God's Word, which is our, our ultimate sort of wisdom from the Lord to know what to say. I want to encourage you, and, and you'll see this in the discussion questions, to consider what do what do I think, and this, by the way, is such a fascinating question to ask your group members because it really sparks them to think about, um, to think deeply about where their unbelieving friends are at spiritually. Um, as I've said many times, a, a good question in discipleship is much better. It's worth about 10 good answers. A good question is worth about 10 good answers. So what do your neighbors need to see? What what aspect of the gospel do you think would be really compelling to Brian or Susie or whoever it is? Is it, would, would the aspect of Christ's forgiveness, would it be uh, freedom from guilt and judgment and shame? Would it be freedom from, would it be a clear sense of purpose in life? What do you think would be really compelling to them? What aspect of Christ's uh, love do you think would really be compelling? Uh, the sort of negative side of that is what are their barriers to belief? What keeps them from believing? What do you think? And to, to think about what a next step might look like for them in growing in those areas. Um, Another point of application here would be to pray for Parkview missionaries. It's clear that God's church is the sort of sending agency, so to speak, of uh, God's uh, word going out to the nations. Uh, I know many community groups are connected with Parkview missionaries in sort of personal relationships and pray for their missionaries on a, a somewhat regular basis and communicate with them. If you don't have that, if you don't have that kind of relationship with a missionary at Parkview, I'd love to help you get connected with that through our global outreach director, Paul. Um, it's really an exciting thing to get those updates and pray for them consistently. It's a, it's been a special relationship for many. Um, so, Acts 13, I think a powerful passage for us to use and um, help encourage our people to take next steps, especially in the area of uh, seeing God's Spirit work through us in God's mission. Uh, finally, uh, a point of training. Uh, we know I want to help you grow whole disciples in the context of your group by nurturing relational safety and spiritual initiative. Those are sort of the two core uh, values that we've got to have in groups. People need to feel relationally safe, and we need to exercise spiritual initiative, not just ourselves, but the whole group, to help one another, each member, to take next steps to grow.
uh, a couple days ago. Actually, it was just yesterday, last night. I was talking with one community group leader um, about the growth grid and sort of hearing their feedback about how that's going for them. Um, and one thing that he mentioned was that he, he had some people who he sort of considered kind of to be on the fringe of the group, and he shared how he felt a, a bit uncomfortable asking about next steps, uh, what that person's next step with Christ might be, because they weren't really sig significantly plugged into the life of the group. And he said, is that is that a problem, um, or should I just go for it? And my word to him was, your instinct is absolutely right. I said, just like we've said, we want to nurture growth in the context of relational safety. And if someone is sort of a fringe person in your group and hasn't quite yet, uh, clearly doesn't quite yet feel comfortable um, with that, then totally, uh, their next step for you is to help them feel comfortable, to establish that sense of trust and relational safety so that when you go to ask that question, hey, what would a next step look like for you right now? How can I be praying for you toward that, encouraging you toward that? Um, it's not weird. It's not strange. It, it feels like a friend asking me and, and helping me. And that leads me to, to kind of the, the point for today, which is affirmation. I've been reading a book uh, lately, uh, Practicing Affirmation, which may sound like kind of the silliest, most simple book. It's been so helpful for me. It's by a guy named Sam Crabtree. Um, I'm going to share a little bit about it. If you want to read this book, let me know and you can commit, by the way, and if you can commit to reading it and follow through and you'll do it, let me know. I'd love to get a, a copy of this book for you, Practicing Affirmation. It's a short, you know, I'm flipping through it, you can hear me, about 130 pages page book and it outlines a number of sort of helpful principles for helping others grow spiritually by practicing affirmation. Um, if there were sort of a core Bible verse quote passage there that, that it's built on, it'd be Romans 15:2. He says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. The purpose of affirmation is to build one another up in growth. And if I were to sort of boil that down, it would be that affirmation is the foundation of relational and spiritual growth. We grow in relational safety and we encourage people to grow spiritually. We sort of set a culture of growth and by affirming them. Um, Affirmation is so key to helping people sense that they are loved, they are appreciated, they are seen, they are known. Um, one of the main ways that we build relational safety, whether you sort of realize this or not, is by affirming one another. Um, here's, what, uh, here's what Sam Crabtree says. He says, to affirm Christ-likeness in transformed believers is to affirm what Christ purchased with his own blood. Wow. Here's, here's another couple of just sort of core helpful quotes. Um, he says, We rob God of praise by not pointing out his reflection in the people he has knit together in his image. Wow. Affirmation, he calls it relational refreshment. When we, here's what, if, if I'm honest, have you ever sent someone an email and then not heard back from them? for a week. I don't know about you, but my tendency is to assume, <laughs> I rarely assume that they're not responding because they're pleased with me. I, I hardly ever assume, oh, they're not responding because they really like me as a person. <laughs> I tend to assume they're mad at me. They don't like me. They're frustrated with me. They they think that was a dumb question. They, And so, so often we sort of leave our relationships kind of silent 
in, in the way that we feel about one another. Good leadership in this area means leaving absolutely no one in the dark about how we feel about them. And so let me give you sort of a few suggestions that I've learned from this book, Practicing Affirmation, about what that looks like to practice that in your group. First, I recommend you wholeheartedly to affirm specifically. When someone asks you, what do you like about my house? If you were to say, oh, it's nice. It might be perfectly true. It might be a nice house, but what's really going to go to their heart and what they're really looking for is what, be more specific. Tell me what you really like. And it's so much more true when we think of one another. The difference between me saying, hey, Bill, you're a really nice guy. I love, love Bill. And saying, Bill, you know, when I saw you um, respond in the way that you did uh, the other day, it was so encouraging to me because I saw God's character in you. I, I loved when I saw um, the steps that you've taken. It's been so evident. I think it's been evident to all of us that that Bill has grown in this specific area. Um, you used to do X, Y, Z, but what I've noticed lately is that you have been doing this instead. And man, way to go. The more specific we can be in affirmation, the more helpful and encouraging it's going to be to those who hear. Secondly, besides being specific, let's be honest. Um, if, if that's, this is the difference between affirmation and flattery. Flattery is saying things that we don't actually believe about a person. But honest affirmation is saying things that we really do see, that we really do want to affirm. So we want to make sure that our affirmations are specific and honest. Third, affirmations have to be abundant. I mentioned this before with sort of the little silly email illustration, but here's the deal. Uh, Sam says, affirmations tend to evaporate. Meanwhile, corrections pile up. I don't know about you, but I, I there are so many phrases and little comments and messages that I've that are in my heart that I want to forget. Um, things that people have said, often well-meaning, um, but they, they do, they pile up in our hearts. But affirmations tend to evaporate. We need to have an ab abundant affirmation ratio. The ratio of abundant, uh, sorry, the ratio of affirmation to correction or criticism, um, Sam says, has to be at least 10 to 1. Has to be at least 10 to 1. Because people forget, we, we tend to think, I don't know about you, don't you think that the people in your group, I so often think my group members are mad at me, they're frustrated with me, they're bored, they're, I, I don't know what, not, not positive things. What we need from one another is to be reminded consistently, constantly, abundantly of the good things that we see in them. And lastly, besides so specific, honest, abundant, and finally, God-centered. Um, this is how we, we keep relational safety in the realm of spiritual initiative, that we don't just sort of become people who just gen generically like and affirm one another, but we affirm a specific aspect of God's character. And the way that we do that is by affirming things that we see in one another that reflect God's character, that show God's image. Um, especially helpful is if you can say, hey, uh, Ashley, I was reading the Bible yesterday and I, read, I came across this passage in 2 Samuel and it, it just reminded me of you. It made me think, ah, I, I was reflecting on that aspect of God's character and I thought, man, that's Ashley right there. You do such a great job of reflecting that. Way to go. Um, think of the fruit of the Spirit. Um, think of uh, 
specific God-centered affirmations that you can give people uh, to remind them that when we're growing, this is how you sort of set the culture of growth in your group, that we're not just sort of saying nice things about one another, but encouraging one another in a specific direction. Affirm a fruit of the Spirit that you see in a person, connected to a Bible verse, something like that. What can be really helpful, I found, you know, um, correction and confrontation, that I often think it's got to be in person, it's got to be face-to-face, don't do it virtually, but encouragement, write it down. Send it, send it in a text, send it, and people, by the way, if there were a practice that were sort of to, to affirm and, and uh, recommend to you, it would be sending mail. Write a little note to someone in your group this week, maybe even another leader, I don't know who, um, and encourage them with something specific that you see in them. I have notes of encouragement that I have kept for years, and that I just this week I was I was opening one that I found in in my little stationery case uh, from it must have been from seven or eight years ago, and it encouraged me all over again. And if I had just had that in person, you can do both. By the way, you can say something and then give someone the thing that says it. Um, it those things tend to just resound and ripple and just be amazing encouragements um, going forward. So let's let's be great affirmers. Um, in our groups. That's how we can we can really emphasize that uh, atmosphere of relational safety. Finally, let me send you out with prayer. Lord, I thank you for these leaders. Lord, these leaders are the answer to your command. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Lord, thank you for these leaders who are they are your fulfillment. They are the fulfillment of your call to raise up leaders, to raise up um, laborers into your harvest. Lord, we know your harvest is plentiful apart from you um, and in this city. Lord, we th- I, th- I just thank you. I thank you for supplying each and every one of them to make disciples here. Uh, they belong to you. Just I just reflect on this passage and think that just as Paul was called by your spirit but commissioned by your church, it's you yourself. Um, Lord, we may have said these are our leaders, but it's you who have established and called and um, sent and filled these leaders by your spirit. Lord, I know uh, you desire for our people to take next steps in evangelism. And we thank you for Acts 13 and we and pray for the truths that we see in it to have their full effect on our people, um, to lead them to maturity. Help us to help them in a tender, careful, gentle way to lead them. Um, We know this area is so often full of fear and shame and um, sort of self-recrimination and and doubt. And what we want, we never want to be a presence of condemnation or um, hiding in shame. Help us to encourage them appropriately, understanding them well. Help us to understand our people well, Lord. Lord, remind these leaders of the immense power that resides within them. Let them always abound in hope because of your presence and power resting upon them. Give them a greater lived sense of your pleasure toward them because of Jesus. Not uh, not just a sort of mental certainty, I know the facts, I can pass the doctrine exam, but Lord, give them a soul, heart-level confidence that they belong to you. And that you are in them directing and leading and giving them all that they need. Lord, set for them the example. Let them be the example of being filled by your spirit, 
with their people so that they can be confident to be filled by your spirit on mission as well. Make, Lord, your presence and power more palpable, more sensible to them. Lord, as these leaders meet with your people and pray for their people, encourage their people, help them to remember to affirm your image in their group members. Help them to notice your image. Lord, bring it to mind. Um, remind them con- consistently, constantly. Highlight it in their minds, in their spirits, as they notice things with their group members. Help them to celebrate what you have done. Give them gladness of heart when they see um, things that they can affirm. Help us to build a culture of affirmation and safety. Help it to grow up in, in these groups so that each person is sure they're in a place where they can really grow. Lord, I know you can do all of this. I pray that you would make each of these leaders effective and powerful in this ministry for your glory. And let me send you out with this, this good word from Romans. Um, it says, may the hope, God of hope, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. We'll talk to you next week. I got love for my Savior, I got love for my Savior, I got love for my Savior in my soul.